right, everybody. Everybody doing good out there? Well, I always kind of talk about, there we go, as I gather. I know, I'm sorry. I, I broke up all your fellowship. I apologize. It's all right. Have more later after church. That's what it's all about. So I always talk about, as you go through uh, my life, there's like a clear kind of outside of salvation. This is going to maybe not good equal, but going to Emmaus was one of the, probably my parents will tell you, was a very shocking decision for me to do. But going to Emmaus um, changed my life. Uh, and, and the Lord really used it. And one of the things that he did, aside from the learning and, the, and just the people uh, interacting, was just the, friend, the friends you would meet and that you still stay in contact with. And we won't say, yeah, how many years we go back towards college, because as you get older, you just want to stop saying how long maybe you've known somebody. But I have known Tim for a long time, since my days uh, out at Emmaus. Uh, Christy was talking with him last night and sharing how they played soccer together uh, at Emmaus. Um, talked about some of the, the mischief that might have been caused uh, at Emmaus o over those four years. Um, but it's really great to look back and see a lot of our classmates uh, that we see serving the Lord, that, that we see carrying out the instruction that they got for those four years. So if I always give a, a, a great plug for Emmaus Bible College, that's because it was life-changing. Yeah, and all the youth groups should go there, every single one. Parents, send your kids to Iowa. It's awesome. So I want to invite uh, Tim up on stage, uh, a great brother in Christ, fellow alumni, and he's going to bring the word for us this morning. You guys all caught that, right? I was life-changing for him. That's what I'm walking away with. I was instrumental in the radical changing of Seth's life. Uh, Emmaus is a phenomenal school. Um, we, were, we were laughing a little bit and talking about it. It did uh, change my life uh, drastically being at Emmaus. Um, I will say how long ago it was that I went, and it was 25 years ago when I started. 1999. Some of you were not alive, maybe, maybe. Um, and uh, it, it was a long time ago, uh, and I don't, mentally, I don't think of myself, Seth, as that old, and then I wake up in the morning, and my knees hurt, or I do projects, and my shoulder doesn't work, and I go, yeah, no, that's about how old I am. Um, I, I, I was sitting down there thinking, I feel very much at home here already. Uh, Frank insisted, I love Frank, Frank insisted I bring my guitar, and I said, Frank, don't make me do this. And he said, bring it. And I said, yes, Frank. I obey Frank when Frank talks. Um, but I was sitting over here, and I was thinking, i got to make a joke about Frank at Frank's expense. And then I said, no, I can't do that. I'm going to. Yeah. <laughs> I said, I can't do that to poor Frank. And, and I'm going to anyway. Sorry, Frank, I love you. So the joke that I had was really like, you know, who else really could you send to Avoco to help me? But Frank, no, I said that wrong. Who else, seriously, could you send to Abaco but Frank, please? Anybody else but Frank? No, Frank has been such a, a, a blessing. Um, we met, I lose track. I always think it's more trips than it's been. I think it's five. You think it's four. We'll split the difference. Um, but it was 2020. So it's been four years. 
So it's been almost four years that I met Frank. Frank came for four days. We suckered him into two weeks. Um, and he's been in my life ever since, and I can't get rid of him. Uh, like COVID, he won't go away. So, uh, but I wanted to, I was asked if I would, I wanted to share a little bit about things in Abaco, um, things that are going on there, give you some background. I realized that Frank, Frank knows my story. Seth is, and Chrissy are probably aware of a, of a part of it. In fact, my time in Abaco um, began, and, and I think someone's going to put some pictures up here, I don't know. My time in Abaco, in the Bahamas rather, began 22 years ago, 23 years ago, while I was still at Emmaus. Um, somebody came to me and they said, hey, you want to go down to this island in the Bahamas and work with these kids and do this vacation Bible school? And I went, Bahamas, yes. And so I went, and then it became something I did every year, and over time, um, the people of the Bahamas became the most important people group to me. Uh, and in fact, it became the people group that I have the biggest burden for, uh, that my heart aches for. Uh, and so we've continued to go back. And then over time, um, my wife and I, I'm going to have, who's, who's running the slides? Who's the incredible person? Awesome. Would you back up to that very first one? You're the best. Thank you. Um, over time, um, I ended up living in the Bahamas for six years, and that's a whole incredible long story that I'll tell you. Um, but overall, I've been in the Bahamas ministering for 23 years at this point. That picture, if you can't tell, that is the armpit of America. That's Florida. I, I love Florida, by the way. Sorry, that's not nice to say. Any Floridians? Okay. My license plate is a Florida license plate. If you want to check it out later, please don't. Um, that is Hurricane Dorian, and you can't really tell from the distance on this picture, but you can see a little bit there. It's actually just about to go right over top of Abaco. And so where my wife and I live, the Christian school that we uh, worked at, which has had a long, we were talking about it last night, has had a long connection with the Mayus Bible College, about longer than I've been in the Bahamas, um, right through. So the eye of the hurricane went right through. That's Dorian. Dorian, which is widely recognized as the um, most powerful hurricane in our hemisphere in recorded history. Winds well over 200 miles an hour. Um, it was an incredible thing. That was a very emotional week for us, and I'll explain in a moment. Um, but the next slide uh, and next couple of slides will show some of the damage. It doesn't look like that anymore, but there is still a long way to go. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, when natural disasters happen, storms come through, it's in the news for a couple of weeks, a month, maybe two at the most, and then the news cycle switches to the next thing, and we move on in life. But the people who are affected by these things do not move on, uh, and it takes years and years. And so Dorian was four years ago, and Frank and I were laughing in June, and, and, or not June, January. What month is this? February, 29 days. And uh, Jim was there and we're laughing because we're still cleaning up and picking up things that have been laying around for four years. Um, and so you can see the water has come that far inland. Um, there's a boat in the bottom right corner, you see a boat. That boat, you're about a quarter mile in. 
That boat is an incredible, it's a large boat. The wall of water that came through was about 25 feet deep, went over most of those buildings, dropped boats. We have more slides there as well. Um, interestingly, I, I wasn't going to mention this, but you see the, the houses that have white roofs that are still there. Those are called uh, bimini roof. Uh, they're made out of marine plywood and elastomeric. That's just overlapped, and they did very well. Everything else was gone. Um, so continue, I guess. Let's see. All right, so this is just some of the things that we dealt with right after. The, the school was blessed with a um, team from Ohio, Pennsylvania, called Christian Aid Ministry, and they lived in the facility, in the gym, for eight months. It's a Mennonite group. Um, and they had up to, at times, 75 people, and they cleaned through, and uh, one of the first things you see there in the bottom right was roof. There was so much roof damage to the school. Um, I don't know how we did it, and I think it's only the grace of God that somehow we cleared off 15,000 square feet of old roofing, made several massive repairs, as you can see, and then laid 15,000 square feet of ice and water shield in five days. Um, I remember looking at a good friend of ours down there and I said, hey buddy, we're not going to get this done. We have two days left. I said, we're not going to get this done. And um, the next day, God continued to bring people. By the last day, we had five or six extra guys that were not part of our team. The last piece of ice and water shield went down and the sun was down five minutes later. It was incredible. And so it's really just been an incredible journey for my wife and I as well. Very fulfilling. And I'll let... Um, Oh, there's some pictures. That's what the inside kind of looked like. And so I'll let the pictures, you can just kind of scroll through them a little bit. Um, and so for my wife and I, we lived there. I lived there for six years. My wife lived there for five. I know you're thinking how that worked. Well, I met my wife while I was there. I was blissfully ignorant and happy as a single man. I left Asheville, North Carolina, saying that there are no godly women in Asheville. I'm out of here. And I moved to the Bahamas. And then I met my wife online. It's a fun story. I'll just tell you this. Date number one was April 22nd. We got married less than four months later. And she tells me on a regular basis that we're on a 10-year trial period. In fact, recently she said, you have six months to fix some things. And um, I did look at my lovely wife one day. I said, you know, I'm, I'm worried that one day you'll wake up, realize who you've married, and take the kids and bolt in the night. And she laughed and she said, I think it's cute that you think I'm taking the boys. <laughs> so I don't blame her because they're just like me. Uh, but we lived and ministered full-time in Abaco for six years, my wife for five. We taught primarily at Agape Christian School. Um, and then we were involved in a lot of other ministries. Uh, we ran the youth group, which we, we had about anywhere from 25 to 30 kids in the youth group. Most of them didn't go to church. It was just something... You had a lot of kids from the community that had nothing else to do on a Thursday night. And then uh, we also were involved in teaching in local churches, and so I would travel, my wife and I would travel to other islands and other places and fill in or cover for other pastors who needed a break or just be there because there's, a, for example, there's one little church on an island called Guanaki that was a little um, brethren assembly that had about 12 people. Um, and the entire church would sit almost on this stage right here. It was, it was a beautiful thing. So we did a lot of that. Since Dorian, um, a lot of improvements have been made. 
Um, things are continuing to get better. Um, you can see through some of the pictures, um, you've got classrooms. In fact, there was a picture there of me doing devotions with the high school and elementary school staff in January, and it was the same room that you saw two pictures before um, that had nothing but studded walls. We've had some incredible teams. This trip in January, we did something that's never been done there before, which is we've always done spiritual emphasis in the high school, but there's never been anything for the younger kids in elementary. And so we put together a team that um, God blessed us with a phenomenal person who was gung-ho and ready to lead that, and I handed it all off to her, and she ran everything for the spiritual emphasis for the elementary kids, and it was incredible. They did skits, they played games, they had uh, people dress up as astronauts, um, and meanwhile, I got to do the music for the high school, and that was it. It was beautiful. I let somebody else speak. And so there's a lot of things that have been continuing to go on. This is the trip, by the way, that, you, um, that we were just on with Jim. I don't know. There is a picture of you in there, Jim, somewhere. It's very flattering, I'm sure. Uh, and so we had lesson time with the kids. We had game time with the kids, and we built relationships. And then ultimately the goal, obviously, is to see lives transformed for Christ and to see people come to know him for who he is, including playground, what has taken place. Um, is it a handsome guy in the plaid shirt? To his left is the guy that leads music. He's phenomenal. The guy in the plaid shirts, he's all right. Um, but we've had work done to the school. Things have been put back together um, to the point where the school can function and operate. Uh, to give you a clue, there were no schools, no high schools in Central or South Abaco open for the year after Hurricane Dorian. In fact, there were no schools in that part of the Bahamas after Hurricane Dorian that were open. Students left. Families vanished for a year. They landed wherever they could uh, to get their kids into school. And so the school has been in existence since 1994 and has worked continuously all except for one year. Um, somewhere in there was a picture of my beautiful wife and the two boys. Um, and then, look, isn't that incredible? We have to build that here now, is what I'm told. Is that correct? I have to make a trip up, apparently. So in the future, what we're working on, and so um, we'd love to have more people come down, we have a lot more playgrounds to build. Schools cannot function without playgrounds. Um, and I don't mean that in the sense that you, you know, they can't function. Like, you have to actually have playgrounds in order to function. And so we have more playgrounds that have to be built. There's a lot more classroom work that needs to be done and maintenance to the buildings, to the facility, uh, steps that have to be built, relationships that have to be built, and projects for the coming years. If you're at all interested, talk to Frank or Jim or Seth or me or someone. Um, we are going down June, about the middle of June for two weeks. We'll have, a, we'll have an opening for about two weeks in June. And if you're all interested, again, talk to these fine gentlemen. Frank could probably tell you just about everything that you would want to know. If not, ask Jim. So this is kind of what's been happening in the Bahamas. That is the team, by the way, on the right. Jim is in that picture. Um, and God blessed us this year in uh, January with an incredible team. Uh, people, we, we tackled three different things and um, watched God work in the lives of a lot of people. It is a joy to be a part of what God is doing in other places, um, truly is. So, 
Any questions about any of that? Anything you I'm itching to know right now? There were 55 kids that, um, um, yes, that professed salvation. Obviously, in that number, you're going to take a lot of other factors into account, but 55 kids uh, that professed uh, Christ while we were there. Um, and I will tell you this, even if the true, genuine profession is one, it's worth every dollar that's spent and every moment and every bit of labor to be there and to get there if it's just one. Um, when I talk, my, I mean, my heart breaks for the school when I talk about youth ministry. Um, I think Christian education is one of the most incredible opportunities for youth ministry. Um, right now, I also teach um, our youth group at church, and we, have, uh, we meet three times a week. So that's, un, that's unusual to meet that many times with a group of kids throughout the week. When you think about education, you get those same kids for hours a day that you get to invest in their lives. And so in a place like the Bahamas, in any country, and you've got an opportunity for a Christian school, that's something we rally around and we need to come around and say, what can we do to help you? It's not a numbers game. And we all know that salvation is not a numbers game. But the numbers matter. And the numbers matter in the sense of the more lives, the more students you can get into a school, and the more lives you can impact for Christ. In order to get the kids there, you have to have a quality product, a great facility, and all of those things. So uh, continue to pray, and then we'd love to have you guys involved. Truth is, you've been involved for four years now. Four years? Yeah. Whether you intended to be or not. Frank has been, I, I tease and I joke, Frank has been an absolute godsend, and having Jim there in January was the same. Frank has become the guy that I can look at and go, Frank, you know... I have to run around like a chicken with my head cut off right now because I'm the guy that knows everybody that has to go find this and that and everything else. Just make this happen. And I can hand it to Frank and Frank runs with it and it's, it's great to watch him do that. So if you have any other questions, I'll be around for a little bit. Um, now I get, this, I get my actual time now, right? Seth, okay, so still 30? No, I'm kidding. Um, so let's pray and then let's dive into God's word. So Lord, thank you. Uh, just once again for the opportunity that we have um, to be able to share at a fellowship uh, with believers in Christ, to be able to um, share the things that are on our hearts. And Lord, as we dive into your word, just ask that the words that come out of my mouth are not mine, uh, so I can stick to the script as well, uh, but that the, the words that flow from me are from you, God, and that we are all encouraged and blessed as we dive in and we study. In your name we pray. Amen. Mm. Exodus 15. So we're going to look at two main passages, uh, but we're going to kind of bounce a little bit too. So I want you to turn to Exodus 15. Um, I was going to set a timer, but I'm not sure what ringtone would go off, and that could be dangerous. So Exodus 15, starting in verse 22, and let's read together. Uh, then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days into the wilderness, and they found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Then he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and he threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. There he made for them a statute and regulation, and there he tested them. 
And he said, if you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you, which I have put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, I am your healer. And they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 date palms, and they camped there besides the waters. Um, I don't know about you, so that song, Jehovah Rapha, we could have probably just stopped right there. I think we could have just wrapped it up and gone home. Um, I love that song. It's an incredible and powerful song. You see in that song, you see in here, you see from your bulletin, which actually gives away the message. Um, Rapha means to restore, to heal, and Jehovah Rapha is the God who heals, the Lord who heals. And so we see here, this is the original context. This is the first time in Scripture that we see God refer to Himself as Jehovah Rapha, the one who heals. The Israelites have experienced generations of hardship and slavery, the torment, um, the hands of the ruler, and a nation that rejects the true God. They've been under the thumb of Egypt for a long time. And we're picking up here in the part of their exodus where they've gone through the Red Sea and now they're moving on. So they've seen God work in incredible mighty ways. God just wiped out the armies of Egypt in this insanely powerful way. And then they're hungry and thirsty and they start grumbling. After three days of wandering in the desert, they desperately need water. They come across a river but it's unfit to drink. God divinely, and I love this, because I wouldn't think, I mean, I wouldn't think, I want to make these waters better. Let me throw a tree in. And so God, as if to kind of show off a little bit, God divinely cleansed the waters by instructing Moses, throw in this, throw in this tree, throw in this hunk of wood, and he makes it drinkable. And after that, he proclaims, and I love this in verse 26, is what he says. And and correct me, forgive me, when I study, I get hung up on little words. I don't mean hung up in the sense of I don't know what they mean, I can read. I get hung up on the impact of little words, and I love this. Verse 26 starts with this, if, if you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in His sight, if you give ear to His commandments, if you keep all of His statutes, he is the God who heals. If we do these things, with this promise, God is assuring the Israelites that He will continue to be the God who heals. And I love verse 27. Verse 27 is kind of the icing on the cake for me. Um, they came to Elam. So they've gone through this. They've gone through the Red Sea. Right? They've seen God work in incredible ways, and now they've come to this river. They're really thirsty. They can't drink it. Then they watch God. They watch God divinely, miraculously make the waters uh, fit to drink, and then they travel on, and they come to a place, and as if God was saying, see, I'm telling you, I've got you. I can take care of you. I've got this. You're in great hands. He takes them to Elam, where there are not one, but 12 springs of water. 12 springs of water, 70 date palms. I don't like dates, but it's okay. 70 date palms, and they camped there. 
as if, you know, God as if being able to say, you're mine. I've told you, we can do this. We see Jehovah Rapha used, or the idea of Jehovah Rapha used in the New Testament. Jesus' healing incorporated the qualities that Jehovah Rapha bestowed upon the Israelites in the Old Testament. We see that through the miraculous works of Christ in the New Testament. James 5.14 through 16 says this, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it didn't rain. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. We see all throughout Scripture, and in the first part of those verses, the ways in which God heals, and we see it in the New Testament. So before we dive into that, though, I want to ask this question. I want to answer this question, really. What does the name Jehovah Rapha reveal about God? We have names. You have a name. I don't know most of your names. Are you aware that your name has a meaning? Now, I don't know what the meaning of your name is, but names have meanings, unless you're just making up names. I, I know people do that nowadays. As a teacher, I've heard names that I go, that's not really a name. I don't want to offend anybody, but we, we have a student named Nevea, and I went, Nevea, is that heaven backwards? And she went, yes. And I went, please don't be offended. I went, who does that? Okay, names have meanings. And so I know, for example, that the name, and I think you guys would know that the name Isaac means laughter, right? And Isaac has his name because at that time, his parents went, we're going to have a kid. Oh, okay, it's not going to happen. We're old. My name means honoring God. Timothy means honoring God. Names have meanings. At times... A lot of times, the character, the nature of who we are ties into what our name is. And so for God, He reveals Himself. He reveals His character and His nature through the names that He says, this is what you call me. So for example, I am refers to a lot of things, but one of the things that it refers to about God is His eternality, that God is eternal. I am, present tense, not I was, not I will be, I am. God is eternal. Yahweh, or Jesus rather, means Yahweh saves, referring to God's salvation from sin. And I think when we look at the name, and I, there's a lot of ways we could go with this, and I think um, I've gotten a kick out of this. I think Jim and I were talking uh, oh, a month and a half ago. How do you do a series on the names of God and cover one name in 30 minutes? I don't know how you do it. I think some of the aspects of God's nature and character that we see in the name Jehovah Rapha include things like His sovereignty. We see God's sovereignty revealed in the name Jehovah Rapha. The fact that God has a plan, and He has always had a plan, and unlike me or you or whoever else, God does not fly by the seat of His pants. When we are uncertain as to what is happening in this world in life, God knows what He's doing and I don't have to. 
I refer to life for Christians as, I hate jigsaw puzzles. Okay, I hate jigsaw puzzles. But when I think of the Christian life, I think of it like this. We are one tiny piece of an infinitely large upside-down jigsaw puzzle. The only person that can see all of it is God. And we see, we see little bits and pieces like Seth brought up. You don't, you don't always see what's happening and the purpose and the reason until long afterwards. And you can look back in life and go, okay, now I get it. For God, His sovereignty, I believe we see that. We definitely see His provision revealed in the name Jehovah Rapha. If we are His, and that's that big word again, if, if we are His, we hold what we know to be true about Him as we see uh, in Exodus 15, all right? We hold to what we know is right. We keep God's commands. If we are His children, He will provide healing for us and ultimately in a way that only He can. I believe we see God's omnipotence revealed in Jehovah Jireh or Jehovah Rapha. God is all-powerful. Even the ability, we go to doctors, okay, we go to doctors, we, we go to counselors, um, we have people that we rely on to help us through whatever our struggles are. We go to other individuals, and that's a good thing. But even I believe the ability of others to bring healing into our lives comes through God. Even that. I believe it's God who gives doctors the ability to do what they do. I believe it's God who gives individuals who fall into the counseling field, He gives them the mentality, the demeanor, the ability to interact, to understand how the human mind is damaged and how we are broken and how we can be healed through a lot of these things. So why does God refer to himself as Jehovah Rapha? First, I believe God refers to himself as Jehovah Rapha and he heals to bring us into a closer relationship with him. My wife and I, you know, going back to Hurricane Dorian, that was the most emotional week, uh, month of our entire lives. The part of the story I left out at the beginning is this, the hurricane hit um, September uh, 1st and 2nd of 2019. Sunday morning, uh, Saturday night, it was a, a Category 3. To give you some context, Category 3 hurricanes, I would be outside grilling steaks in a Category 3 hurricane. That's 80, you know, 85 mile an hour winds, and you're kind of going, oh, okay, we got one there. Get my steak off the ground, put it back on the grill. This hurricane was a Category 3 on Saturday night, and the people woke up on Sunday morning to a Category 5 with no chance to go anywhere. My wife and I were sitting in Michigan. Uh, my wife is a Uper. She's from St. Ignace, Michigan, across the bridge. And um, we're sitting in Sault Ste. Marie, watching a hurricane destroy all that we held in dear and trying to enjoy the birth of our second child. So hurricane hit Monday or Sunday, Monday, he was born Tuesday. And we're going, oh, he's so cute, sobbing. You know, holding him, glued to our phones, trying to figure out who's dead, who's alive, what's left, all right? The most incredibly emotional week. Through that, God used other people in our lives to bring healing in a way that I think only He ever could have. And through that, my wife and I, instead of doing what I think a lot of people do when there's not a depth to relationship, instead of going, I'm done, 
we just leaned. I mean, I, I call it we just steered into the skid is what we did. We just leaned into God even more and said, we're yours. Just do what you're going to do. And at some point, please, could you maybe tell us what you're doing? That would be nice too. God heals to bring us into a closer relationship with who he is. He also heals to reveal himself to his creation. He heals to reveal himself so that we might be able to see that he is the only one who is worthy of all glory and honor and praise. And ultimately, God heals to bring glory and honor to himself. If I, I'm not going to harp on that, but I want you to understand that's why God does what he does. We can't do that. We're fallen, sinful human beings, but God does what he does to glorify and honor himself. So what are the implications of the name Jehovah Rapha in the lives of his children? How does God heal? So in our lives, the lives of his children, how does God heal? And as we mentioned that there are implications to every name of God, and he reveals himself through his various names, he reveals his character that he alone possesses that no one else possibly could. With Jehovah Rapha, God reveals his love for those who are his children, and he reveals his compassion for us and his ability to alleviate all the struggles and sufferings that we go through. So, a couple of verses that I want us to just to briefly look at, and then there's one more passage we're going to talk about real quick. First of all, Psalm 41.3, you can turn there if you want, but we're going to go quickly. Psalm 41.3 says this, The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. God heals sickness and infirmity. God heals sickness and infirmity. Jonah 2, 5 through 7, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. We go through a lot of mental anguish. We go through a lot of things like that. I can't think of any more mentally disturbing than, I mean, I've never been swallowed by a fish before. Jonah here, we see God healing mental affliction. He is so downtrodden, disheartened, broken mentally, and he cries out to God, and God heals him. Psalm 23 most of you or many of you probably have this memorized. Verse 3 says this, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. God heals spiritual fatigue. When we are worn out, when we feel, which I know we all get to this point because it has to be that way because I refuse to ever accept that I might be the only person who ever gets just empty spiritually. When we get to that place, God heals spiritual fatigue. Psalm 147 and verse 3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. God heals emotional suffering. And John 14, 27 says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. God heals anxiety and worry in our lives. We worry about things. We get anxious about things. God heals that. 
But this is the big one. Psalm 103, verse 3 says this. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases? Um, Turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark 2. God heals from the wounds of sin. I will say with absolute and full confidence that I am not the only person in this room that struggles with wounds from sin. I know that I'm not, and I can say that with all confidence because some of you I know, and we've had some of those difficult conversations. I know that I'm not the only one who struggles from the wounds of sin, the guilt of the things that you have done, the guilt of the things that you continue to do, the sins that you wrestle with and battle on a regular basis, and seeing God heal through those things. I know I'm not alone, but I want us to understand He is the only one that can heal that. He heals from the wounds of sin. Mark 2, 5, I love this passage. Or Mark, actually, Mark 2, beginning in, well, let's go to verse 1. When he came back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. He was speaking the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. You're probably familiar with this story. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above, and when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, sons, or son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak that way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk. Which one's easier? It's easier for me to look at somebody and say, your sins are forgiven, than to heal somebody who hasn't walked in who knows how long. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody with a withered limb, have you? Very quick, funny, humorous story. Right before my wife and I got married, my dad decided to deal with a bee's nest inside of a boxwood bush. Now, my dad has never been an athlete that I'm aware of, and he was old. And my dad, maybe at the time, I don't know if his cognitive abilities were sliding, decided boxwood bushes, which are a very tight bush, decided I'm going to take a stick, slide it into the bush, spread it apart so I can spray the nest. Raise your hand if you think that's a good idea. Exactly. I told my dad this as well, and I actually laughed and said, you got what you deserve. My dad then disturbed this bee's nest. They swarmed out. He tried to run. Go back to what I said. He's not an athlete, and he's old. No offense to any old people. Okay, he took three steps 
and his Achilles tendon went. And then he went down. To add insult to injury, the bees didn't go, oh, no, leave him. He's fine. He suffered enough. No, they stung him anyway. My dad ended up, and, and we have wedding photos of my dad in this black boot because he had to have surgery. I, I'll also just mention that because he was in a black boot, um, we painted his toenails navy blue to match the color scheme. That was my idea. That's my input to the wedding. Okay? Um, we painted his toenails blue, so we have, foam, we have evidence of this. When the boot came off my dad's leg, um, his one leg that had the boot on it for however many months was about the size of my wrist. It hadn't been used, so it atrophied. Here we've got this guy who's been lowered down. It's a whole lot easier to say to somebody, your sins are forgiven in this situation than to actually have the ability and the power to cause someone to get up and walk. God heals not only from the wounds of sin, but he heals sin and removes all of that. He says, listen, I've forgiven his sins. What's easier to say? Forgive your sins or get up and walk. So guess what? Get up and walk. Again, Jesus heals to show who he is. But I believe in this passage and in others, we see the real healing that takes life or takes root in our lives. I know when you know, as we wrap up here, I know when you know that not everything we go through in life we will be healed from in this life. That's okay. I got a bum shoulder and some knees I'd like to replace, and I'm only 43. Ultimately, ultimately, it is the sin issue in our lives that is the real healing. Ultimately, through the work of Christ on the cross, our sins, all of them, past, present, future, have been dealt with as only God himself could do. Meaning this, no matter what we might face in this life, no matter what it is we go through in this life, God heals. This is the ultimate healing. With everything else, with the spiritual fatigue, the anxiety, the worry, the physical things that we go through, sometimes that healing looks like God saying, okay, it's time. You've been through enough. You've done what I wanted you to do, and now it's time to go home. Sometimes it comes through God working in our lives through other people, but ultimately, ultimate healing comes through the work of Christ on the cross. Let's pray. Lord, thank you once again just for the opportunity that we've had to be able to look into your word, to study, to dive in, to see what you have for us. Lord, there's so much more that we could say about your name here. If we had a couple more weeks, maybe. But God, I just ask that you work in our lives and remind us of who you are and your ability to heal and to take away the anxiety, the worry, all of those things, even the guilt of our own sin, that you would remove all of that from our lives. Lord, as I always ask, take what we have learned today and help us to apply it to our own lives. In your name we pray.